0: Happy 2019, all of the Old Time Radio Forever listeners. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey of through the golden age of American radio. I've had such great feedback over the last month in our first four episodes that it is very heartening and makes me feel great that there is still a love for these old radio programs. We're starting 2019 off with some mystery. For the first episode of 2019, we have our first appearance of one of my personal favorites, Box 13. Box 13 follows the story of Dan Holiday, a novelist who, fighting for inspiration one day, decided to put an advert in the newspaper. He was willing to do adventure, and he was willing to do almost anything to help build a fictional story to help him get the creative juices flowing. Dan Holiday simply asked that you write to Box 13. Dan Holiday was played by Hollywood movie star Alan Ladd, who starred in one of the most iconic films of the 1950s, 1953's Shane. Alan Ladd was a veteran radio and movie actor throughout the 30s, 40s, and 50s. So join us as we begin 2019 with one of my favorite old-time radio programs. From January the 9th, 1949, this is The Puzzle with Box 13.
1: Box 13 with the star of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday.
2: Dear Dan I know all about your Box 13 ad in the Star Times but I'm writing to you as a friend to come and see me As you know, I'm teaching at Riddell College not too far from where you are Frankly, I've got a problem I don't know whether it's anything you get
3: excited about excited about it or not Matter of fact, it's sort of personal But well Will you come to see me? Bob Lanham yeah, it was a personal problem, all right, at first. Then the whole thing got tangled around, up to my neck. <laughs>
1: back to Box 13 and Dan Holiday's newest adventure, The Professor and the Puzzle.
4: Maybe it'll be a kind of a vacation for you, Mr. Holliday.
3: Could be, Susie, but somehow I have a habit of running into trouble or it runs into me.
4: Well, why don't you be careful, then?
3: Oh, now, who has fun that way?
4: Remember that old saying, never trouble trouble until it's Oh, no, that's wrong. <laughs> it's, it's, it's never trouble, trouble until... No, uh, it's... Ne-
3: tell you what, Susie. You keep working on it. I'll be back in, say, say a week. Riddell College in the northern part of the state was one of those little places where classes are more important than football, and education is still the prime reason for the buildings being there. I drove to the campus, found the teacher's club where Bob stayed. He, he was a bachelor, and later at dinner.
2: I don't know, Dan. Maybe all this is silly, but well, I thought perhaps you could help.
3: Well, I can't
2: unless I know what's troubling you. Well, I I was engaged to be married. Was? Who changed whose mind? Evelyn. I mean, she changed hers. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry, Bob. What happened? Well, I don't know, Dan. Everything was fine for a while, and then poof. It's all off.
3: And you don't know why? No. Well, did you say something, do anything?
2: Not that I know of, but... But what, Bob? (laughs) Listen, let's forget it. I almost sent you a wire telling you to forget my letter. Mm,
3: But you didn't. Which means you've got something else on your mind. Want to spill it?
2: All right. But don't let Evelyn know I told you. Well, of course not. Well, everything was fine, as I said, until... until her uncle committed suicide. Suicide? Oh, I'm sorry, Bob. Now she's going to marry Ed Macklin...
3: Oh, now, wait a minute. Her uncle killed himself, and that makes her break her engagement with you and tie up with this Macklin. <laughs> Doesn't make much sense, does it? Not enough to do much good. Is that all you know?
2: Yes. Just a day or so before before he died, Evelyn sent back my ring.
3: Just like that, huh?
2: Oh, there was a note, but it wasn't an explanation. Just that she thought it wouldn't work. No
3: hint of that before Uncle's
2: death. None, Dan. Absolutely none. That's what's got me stumped. But I could understand it if, if it wasn't Ed Macklin. He's lots older than she is. Why, it was a kind of a joke between us that he... Who, had... is, uh, who is Ed Macklin? Well, he was her uncle's assistant. Assistant? I'm <laughs> making this as clear as a mud puddle. But Evelyn's uncle, Professor Gardner, was professor of mineralogy. Macklin was his laboratory assistant.
3: Oh, oh, oh.
2: And that's all I know. You sure? Well, of course.
3: All right, now the $64 question. Why did Professor Gardner kill himself?
2: Dan, believe me when I tell you he didn't have a reason in the world. Not a single reason.
3: Well, that made as much sense as double talk from Alice in Wonderland. Bob stuck to it, too. The Professor Gardner didn't have a reason to kill himself. Evelyn, it seemed, had been raised by him. He was like a father to her. He was respected... Well-liked. Famous in a small way for his pamphlets and articles. And I got an explanation of his specialty later from Bob in his rooms.
2: He was a crystallographer, Dan. That means he, he studied the crystallization of minerals. You see, each mineral has its own particular crystalline formation. Salt, for example, as common table salt, crystallizes in a particular way. Galena, we used to call it the crystal in the old radio sets, you remember, that has another form of crystallization. Well, Professor Gardner was an expert.
3: Well, Was he working too hard?
2: I don't think so. It was never work for him. Oh,
3: I see. Well, what do I do now?
2: I don't know. I, I thought maybe you could...
3: Well, I guess it's hopeless. Look, Bob, uh, is it certain that Professor Gardner killed himself? What do you mean? Well, you said there was no reason for suicide. There wasn't. Would anyone have wanted to kill him? No. You're sure, Bob? I
2: said no. Everybody liked him.
3: Maybe somebody didn't. I didn't know of anyone. And suddenly Evelyn breaks off her engagement with you, just after I oh, uncle... look.
2: Dan, I'm sorry I got you up here. I, I guess I was stupid to write to you. Go back and forget the whole thing.
3: You're afraid Evelyn's involved. I'm not. That's what's in the back of your mind, but you're afraid to say so. I said I'm not. Okay, 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 Bob.
2: Still want me to go back? Well. No. Now you find out what you can, Dan without getting anyone in trouble.
3: Trouble has a bad habit of
2: popping up. I don't want it to. But you still want me to stay? I guess so.
3: All right. But get this straight, Bob. I am not a detective.
2: What do you mean by that?
3: If I find anything fishy about this, I'll have to call the police.
2: They've already been in.
3: All right. I'll start from here. (laughs) For the rest of the evening, we sat and talked. Bob was nervous. He wanted me to help because... Well, because he was in love with Evelyn. But he didn't want me to help because he was afraid of what might turn up. Well, what could turn up? (laughs) I found out. It was the next morning that I put in a call to Lieutenant Kling. Waited a half hour. Then ambled down to the local police department of Riddell.
4: Oh, yes, Mr. Holiday, Lieutenant Kling called here. Told me about you.
3: I asked him to. Uh name's Carson. I'm chief of police here. <sighs> yes, I know. What can I do for you, son? Well, if I'm butting in where I don't belong, just say so, will you? <laughs> Can't tell that till you spit out what's on your mind. Chief Carson leaned back, lighted a corncob pipe, and waited for me to start talking. I liked him. Behind that pink face was a good, shrewd mind. I told him I had come to Rodell and when I'd finished.
4: Uh huh. You ain't a detective.
3: No, not even a private one.
4: <laughs> Just uh, helping a friend, eh? That's all. Well, can't say as I can tell you any more than Bob Lenham did. You sure? Yep. Found Professor Gardner in his laboratory. Oh, and... at the college? No, he had a little workshop back of his house. He was sitting at his table there, his own gun in his hand. Shot himself through the heart. Oh? Something sound odd to you, son?
3: Yes, a man doesn't usually kill himself that way. That's right. Usually in the head. But that's the way it was, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Tell me, are you satisfied
4: with the case, Chief Carson? Mm, Gotta be, son. Which means you're not. Now, look here, son. I'm only a small-town policeman, but I do my work the best I can. Yes,
3: I know. And the thing that's puzzling you is, why should Professor Gardner have killed himself?
4: Mm Mm-hmm. Or if he didn't, who else would have? And there's no one else. Nobody stood to gain nothing. Wasn't a rich man. His niece? Uh, No, I'm sure she didn't. What about uh, Ed Macklin? Uh, Nothing to gain. Got it marked down as suicide, son. Just as dead end as a blind rabbit burrow. And so it was. A
3: dead end. I didn't press Chief Carson any further. He was shrewd enough to look for clues, and there just weren't any. I went back to Bob's rooms and stopped outside the door. Sounded as though a square dance were going on, with hot music. I opened the door fast. All right, break it up. Come on. Come on, break it up. Bob, stop it. Bob, get back now. Try come it again,
4: on. let back. him, and I'll turn it. Uh, Dan, get out of the way. Now cut it out. Oh, let him, come get on. Get out of here, Macklin. For now, sure. But try to see Evelyn once more, and I'll beat you heavy, and that's all.
3: He's a little bigger than you are, Bob. All around.
4: I'll
2: kill him.
3: Ah, now, 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 take it easy. What happened?
2: Well, I I tried to see Evelyn this afternoon. She wouldn't talk to me. Macklin came in a couple of minutes ago and well, you saw what was happening.
3: Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> it's a nice eye you've got there. Shut up. Oh, now look, remember me? I'm sorry, Dan. Okay. So that's Macklin. Uh huh. Sit down, Bum.
2: I don't want to sit down.
3: Sit down. All right. Now, that's better. Now, how far do you think you're going to get by running into his fist? Now, listen,
2: Dan, I've got to see Evelyn. I've got to find out what's going on.
3: All right, maybe we will.
2: Why is Macklin
3: afraid to let you talk to Evelyn?
2: I don't know, Dan.
3: I take it he's, well, to use an old-fashioned word, a rival.
2: I never thought so. But then...
3: But then... Just before her uncle's suicide, she suddenly switches to Macklin.
2: But why? Why should she?
3: If we find the answer to that, Bob will find out a lot of things. Now, (laughs) let's get a side of beef and fix up that eye. You're going to look pretty silly teaching class tomorrow with a shiner. But he didn't look silly in class. You see, he never got there. The next morning, I was pulled out of a nice deep sleep by... Nobody home. Oh. Hello. Dan? Yeah, sure. Bob?
2: Yeah. Dan, I'm in trouble.
3: Great. How could you get in trouble at six in the morning? That's too early.
2: It's not a joke, Dan. I'm in jail. Huh? For what?
4: For killing Ed Macklin.
2: Of course I didn't kill him.
3: I believe you. But look, haven't you got any alibi at all for last night?
2: No. When you left me, I went for a walk to think things over. Oh, uh, fine, fine. Everybody goes for walks when somebody gets killed. What time was Macklin killed? Just about the time I was out for that walk.
4: Morning, Holiday. Nice day. Oh, uh, hello, Chief. You want some breakfast, son? No, no, nothing. Well, you got to eat, son. Got some ham and egg? Nothing, I said. Uh, bring it, Chief. He'll eat it. Mm-hmm. You want anything? Meaning me? Yeah. Okay, thanks. Well, not at all. Looks bad, don't it?
3: Yeah. Why did you arrest Bob?
4: Well, you ought to know, son. You saw the fight they was having. One of the teachers living next door to Bob here heard it. And...
3: Oh? Yeah. Well, looks like you've got a motive, Chief.
4: Uh-huh. Macklin takes his girl. They get in a fight. I didn't kill him. Now, I want to believe that, but... Chief, I'd like to talk to Bob if I can. Huh? Oh, all right, I'll get the ham and eggs. Be back in maybe ten minutes.
2: Don't you believe me, Dan?
4: Oh, of course I do, Bob.
2: Look, uh,
3: how was Macklin killed? Knife, his own. Uh-huh. Now listen, I got to see Evelyn. What for? Because I believe everything goes back to her uncle and, and his death. How? I don't know. I'd like to find out.
2: Well, nothing makes sense. Nobody Nobody had a motive for killing Professor Gardner.
3: And everyone says he couldn't have killed himself because he didn't have a reason. So what have you got? What have I got? Bob, I... I haven't the faintest idea. Yet.
1: And now back to The Professor and the Puzzle. Another Box 13 adventure with Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. I didn't have a thing.
3: Not a thing to go on. Bob was in a spot, but a good one. He had motive, opportunity. Yet I didn't think he'd kill. I believed he couldn't. And I kept thinking that Professor Gardner's suicide had something to do with Macklin's murder. But how? A harmless professor kills himself? His niece suddenly breaks off her engagement and switches to another man, and that man is killed, and and who gets the brass ring on this merry-go-round? Well, it was about time to see Miss Evelyn Gardner. I found the address, drove there, and... No one answered the door, but I heard someone in the back. So I walked around the side of the house, and putting some papers into an incinerator was a girl of maybe 24, 25... She seemed to be in a hurry, anxious to get it over with. Then she turned when she heard my steps.
4: Oh, who are you?
3: I'm sorry. My name's Dan Holliday.
4: Oh. oh, yes, I, I've i heard Bob speak of you.
3: Oh, go ahead. Finish what you were doing.
4: Oh, well, I I haven't got a match. I, I wanted to burn this, this rubbish.
3: Oh. oh, here's a match. I'll light it for you.
4: Oh, no, no, I can do it.
3: Oh, it's no trouble.
4: I said I'd do it.
3: Well, all right. Here, uh, here's the match. Thank you. Whatever she was burning, she was anxious to get it over with. But she was a little nervous, and the match went out.
4: Oh, please, have you another match.
3: I, uh, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm afraid that was the last one I had.
4: Well, I'll have to get some. Will you come into the house? Oh, thank you. Did Bob come with you, Mr. Holliday?
3: Bob? Haven't you heard?
4: Heard? Heard what?
3: No. No one's told you?
4: Tell me what? What are you talking about?
3: Bob's been arrested for the murder of Ed Macklin. Oh,
4: no. No, he didn't. How do you know? Oh, we've got to see him.
3: That might help, but how How can you be sure Bob didn't do it? Oh,
4: he couldn't have. Then who did? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know, but it wasn't Bob.
3: It has something to do with your uncle's death, doesn't it?
4: No, no, nothing. How could there be a connection? I'm asking you. I'm going to Bob. I've got to see
3: him. She was gone. I watched her drive away, then I hurried back to the incinerator. It was stuffed with papers. I dragged them out. Newspapers, wrapping paper, and then a little sheaf of receipts. Registered mail receipts for parcel post packages. And the signature of the sender was M.A. Gardner. Professor Martin A. Gardner. Now, why was Evelyn burning these? I looked a little longer and found something else. A carbon copy of a letter. It was was partially torn, and all I could read of it was... And this is the last job. Because it's the biggest, I want more than my usual fee. If I don't get it, you'll never get the finished products. And it was signed with the initials M.A.G. Martin A. Gardner. Okay, so I had a lead. But where would it get me? I found out. I didn't go back to the jail because I wanted to look a little longer at those papers I'd found. There was also a bank book, and the deposits totaled over $12,000. But it was in the name of Samuel Stoner. The bank was in the city, not in Riddell. Back in my hotel, I was trying to figure this out when... Liable to go off.
5: Yeah, it could. Mind if I sit down?
3: I uh I wasn't expecting company.
5: I'll sit down anyway.
3: Okay. Now that you're rested, goodbye. In a hurry? That's right.
5: Not so fast, sweetheart. Stay sitting. That's better. What do you want? What you've got right there. These? That's right. Push them across the table. Uh, Keep your hands on top. Scared? Not at all. Now, uh, light a fire in that grate.
3: It's awfully warm, don't you think?
5: It could get hotter. Go ahead. Light a fire in that grate and step on it.
3: Oh. We're going to toast marshmallows, are we?
5: Could be. Now, uh, put some paper on it.
3: Oh, pardon me, you don't have a log with you, do you?
5: (laughs) I'll bring one the next time. Now, throw that stuff on the fire. All of it.
3: But I haven't looked it over yet.
5: Throw it on.
3: Well, what could I do? I threw all the stuff on the fire, watched it burn away. My company did, too. Watched it burn, I mean. It was a cool cookie.
5: Then... Mm, Pretty, isn't it? I used to sit in front of a fireplace and read when I was a kid.
3: But you didn't get to be president.
5: No, that's true, uh... Poke it up a little. See that it's all burned.
3: It is? Good. Now I'm going. Oh, I was hoping you'd stay for dinner. We could put up a spit and roast a chicken.
5: <laughs> oh, I, I almost forgot. You're just stop nosing around.
3: Well, well, well. I guess I have to, with that stuff burned. That
5: was the idea.
3: Yes, I suppose you'd have killed me as you killed Macklin. A shot in the dark, that it hit. His face, not so bad before, got twisted up. His fingers tightened on the trigger of his gun, but then he smiled.
5: You'll have to prove it. (laughs) And uh, something tells me you'll never see me again.
3: So long. Okay. Maybe the things were burned, but I remember one thing. An address. The address on the registered mail receipts where Gardner had sent the packages... And there was the name Samuel Stoner. Something told me Stoner and Gardner were the same and that that bank account was his. But why? Why was he paid that much money? What was he doing? And well, there was only one way to find out go into the city and go to the address written on those receipts. I drove into the city. The address was an office building. And there were 50 firms doing business in that building. I looked at the directory in the lobby. No good. How could I visit 50 places and get right answers? Then I saw him. The man who made me burn the papers. He went into the building. He didn't see me. I tailed him. Watched him get into an elevator. I got close enough to hear him say...
5: Seventh, please.
3: Seventh floor. There were other people in the elevator. Chances are it'd make a lot of stops before it got to seven. Okay, the steps for Holiday... with no one in it. What about it. Then I heard voices.
5: Are we clear? Macklin's dead.
4: You killed him, I suppose. Uh-huh.
5: But it looks like someone else did. It was a perfect setup for a frame.
4: Oh, the niece business, huh?
5: Yeah. Oh, uh, and there was another guy nosing around. He picked up some stuff the girl was going to burn. Who was he? Why didn't you Look, bump- two bump-offs are enough. I only signed for the gardener job. All right. Here's your money. Uh-uh. Now that I know what the gimmick was, I want more. Oh Yeah. Uh-uh. Don't reach for anything.
4: <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll cut you in on this. That's better. Wait a minute. This other fellow. Don't
5: worry. I made him burn the stuff he took from the incinerator. You idiot, you shut I him. told you killing Macklin wasn't in on the deal. But he had this. I had to kill him to get it.
4: You sure you're
5: clean on the Gardner thing? I know I am. I killed him with his own gun while the machines in that shop were running. Nobody heard the shot. Suicide.
4: All right, now get out of here.
5: Uh, you know, uh... I'm taking this with me. Put that down! Don't worry. We'll split on it. I just want to make sure there's no double cross. Now, uh, see you later.
3: I stepped back, waited. Then as he came through the door, I knocked the gun out of his hand and grabbed it. Stay where you are. What?
4: The? Well so you a
3: fella. Get up! I'll take what you brought back. No! Hand it over, Cookie. I... Come on. Well, well, well. Okay, let's all take a trip to headquarters. Well, with those two sweethearts safely tucked away, I began to put the pieces together. I did some reading, then I went back to Rodell. Went back to see Bob.
2: Dan, where you been?
3: Playing tag with a man, Bob.
4: Got a phone call, Holiday, from the city.
2: You... you're letting me out?
4: I think they are. Yep, no more free meals on the town, Bob. Come on. But but Dan, what happened?
3: We've got to go see Evelyn right away. And straighten out a few things. Now, sit down. Both of you. Evelyn? Yes? I think I know the whole thing.
4: Yes, I,
2: I guess you do. What's everyone talking about? Why was I let out of jail?
3: Because you didn't kill Macklin. And Professor Gardner didn't commit suicide.
4: He... he didn't? How do you know?
3: He was killed. Look, Evelyn, Bob would have been convicted of Macklin's murder if I hadn't... Well... Bob, Professor Gardner was doing illicit diamond cutting. What? Yes, yes, he had a perfect setup for it. The shop where he worked cutting and polishing his mineral specimens. The stolen diamonds were sent to him... He recut and polished them so they could be offered for sale. Isn't... isn't that right, Evelyn?
4: Yes. But...
2: but Macklin...
3: I think you'd better tell him, Evelyn.
4: Ed Macklin found out. Then my uncle was killed. And Macklin knew why.
2: You mean... he threatened to expose your uncle if you didn't marry him?
4: Yes. He wasn't sure until after... after Uncle Martin was killed.
2: Killed by a hired
3: killer... Hired by the man who was sending the diamonds to be recut. Professor Gardner was going to quit, but he received one last diamond, the biggest. He wanted more than his usual fee, or he would keep the diamond.
2: But Evelyn, how does she come into it?
3: Well, naturally, Evelyn wanted to protect her uncle's name, but Macklin's death prevented it. You see, Macklin found the big stone, and he was killed because he did. (laughs)
4: Did you have a nice vacation?
3: Susie, it was just as if I'd never been away. Huh?
4: You mean you didn't take a vacation at all?
3: <laughs> well, not exactly, Susie.
4: Oh. <laughs> you mean it was like a typical holiday.
3: I what?
4: I made a joke. Get it? Oh. Good night, Susie.
1: <laughs> Next week, same time, through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd stars as Dan Holliday in Box 13. Box 13 is directed by Richard Sandville with an original story by Russell Hughes. Original music is composed and conducted by Rudy Schrager. The part of Susie is played by Sylvia Picker. Production is supervised by Vern Karstensen. This is a Mayfair production from Hollywood. Watch for Alan Ladd in his latest Paramount picture.
0: January the ninth, 1949, the Mutual Broadcast Company's Box 13, The Professor and the Puzzle. Next up on Old Time Radio Forever, we move to the mean streets of New York City. Broadway Is My Beat was a series that ran for five seasons on the Columbia Broadcast System from 1949 to 1954. It starred Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover a homicide detective who worked the great white way. Known for the dark intro of the show, Larry Thor would always lament from Times Square to Columbus Circle, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Larry Thor was the perfect Danny Clover taking over for a former actor named Anthony Ross who played Clover for a few months in the original 1949 season. A great supporting cast helps Larry Thor bring to life the gritty streets of Broadway, including Virginia Gregg, Barney Phillips, Herb Butterfield, and so many other fantastic radio character actors. This episode is from... June the second, nineteen fifty-one, and it is a typical murder case on Broadway. Is my beat?
6: Broadway, my beat, from Times Square to Columbus Circle, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway's My Beat with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. In the soft night of June, Broadway's heart beats fast. The girls clothed in summer wear the glow of neon in their hair on their lips. And the glitter of the spectacular winds their throats with the quick jewels of night. Their perfumed walk which mixes well with Broadway's own exotic odors the seared electricity the air cool washed scented by installment plan air conditioning system the mist of steam rising from manhole covers and Broadway follows close on the heels of the soft night because somewhere the night turns the corner and vanishes and in your hands are its gifts of emptiness and shock. me they were given on the fourth floor landing of a tenement near the river. The emptiness, the silence after terror shrieked. The shock, the girl with her beauty strangled out of her. The blood from her knife wounds finding the cracks in the wooden floor glinting in the sallow light of the ten-watt bulb. And the man lets you take it all in, touches your arm, and brings you back. Francesca Brown, Danny, waitress at Harper's Grill. Strangled knife hmm. with this gold pen knife. Fancy, corkscrew, bottle opener, nail file. And no prints. Wipe clean. You'll trace it, I'm Well, oh, I got the description. Here, you take it. Her husband's inside, Danny, in their room, I think maybe you ought to talk to him. All right. You're a different one, aren't you? Uh-huh. Mind if I turn on the light? Go ahead. Turn it off before because it's all the same. One good thing, though, would it say it's on the electric bill. You're... That's right. Blind. at blind, Jimmy, all you want, mister, and you don't get hurt. Not anymore. The girl out there, your wife, I have to tell you about her. I have to tell you about Francesca. married me in Italy, in Naples. Came to the army hospital with a priest. Said she wanted me, even like this. Francesca led me around sunny Naples, showing it to me. Letting me touch it. And I brought her home this. You feel like telling me now we couldn't wait. Why would I need to wait? She worked late tonight, overtime at Harper's Grill. I waited up for her. I can't sleep and she... I waited up for her and heard her steps with a man. They stopped in front of our door and she was going to scream. How did you know that? you kidding? I'm blind. That way I knew all there was to know about Francesca. She taught me. Well, what did you do then? I went to help her all I got was the feel of a guy standing with Francesca dead in his hands. Nothing else? Yeah. yeah, something else. He threw her at me. Said, She's all yours, blind boy. He laughed when he said it. you mm. are still laughing when he ran away. We'll do what we can, Jimmy. We'll. Sure yeah, you will. You'll let me hear Francesca's steps on the stairs again. Mm. We'll do what we can. Muglin. You talk to him, huh, Danny? You... Yeah, I'll take care of him, Mugglin. Do whatever's got to be done. And then I happened to look down the stairwell, four flights down, and on each landing, the people looking upward at death. Death was on the fourth floor, and that was a blessing for the first, second, and third. And then one landing down, a kid in a paper hat released a paper airplane. For an instant, it held in the air, then darted downward. A little later, when I got to the ground floor, it was crushed and stained with tobacco juice. I walked out into the street. Pepper's Grill was within walking distance. A second-rate addition to a second-rate hotel. A place catering to loneliness and a not-too-finicky appetite 24 hours a day. I went in sat down at the table. A girl in a blue uniform came over, put a water glass in front of me, poured. You want to look at the menu? Thanks, not now. I want to talk to you. Police. Hmm? What for? What did I do? There's nothing to be frightened of. Sit down. Why don't you tell me what's the matter? Sit down. My name's Rose Rose Keeter I'm Danny Clover How long have you been working here tonight? Came on at 7 last night I'm off at 7 this morning Pretty long hours, huh? Yeah We're On a counter convention at the hotel Oh? Yeah uh, Cane and Ale Club Something like that Boys of the Cane's Been coming here like flies That's why I'm working overtime Did you know a waitress named Francesca Brown? Lucky her She got off a little over an hour ago Refused to work overtime I should have done that She's dead what? Dead, strangled, knifed. Hey, now, wait a minute. I, I got something. Take it easy. You mean it? She's dead? Bert? Bert? What do you mean? Bert Simley. What about him? You said she was strangled, didn't you? You, you, you said... Who's Bert Simley? <laughs> Guy hung around her, asked for dates. Got nasty. You know, winks with the blue place. He wasn't kidding. Was he here tonight? Sure he was
0: waited for Francesca when she got off. He's a caner too. What? Caner? I call
6: him caners, the boys from the caner Nail club. This week they got a penalty if they don't carry a cane. This week they come from all over with canes. Grown men. Where do I find Bird? I don't know. He lives close. That's all I know. Thanks, Rose. Thanks a lot. Wait a minute. She really did? The girl trying to wipe off the terror I had still on her table, and go home and try to sleep against the image of a sightless boy sitting in a darkened room, remembering, counting the touch of the woman who lay in death on his threshold, and wait for the morning so you can go back to headquarters and blot it out in routine, and not making it, not even when the uniformed officer comes up with Bert Finley's address, not even Bert Finley, who offers to clear off the kitchen table and make you a cup of instant coffee. My wife had known I was going to have a visitor. She'd have left a whole pot of coffee. It's all right, Mr. Finley. I don't want any items. Maybe it's a good thing she's not here, though. I'd have a heck of a time explaining to her what I'm doing with a policeman in our flat. The missus is very choicy about the friends I keep. How about, about girls like Francesca Brown, for instance? Franny, a waitress in a grease pan, a hashlinger. What's the matter? She getting high and mighty? I pass a few typical remarks, like you passed the hash slingers. She's dead, murdered. Dead? That's that right. way. What you come to me for? Doesn't it always happen to girls like her? The looks they give you, the way they bend over the table close, the way they walk away from you. You ask me, I'll tell you. It doesn't always happen that way, not to women like Francesca. What makes her so special? You thought she was. You just told me. That doesn't make me want to kill her. That makes it quite the opposite. That makes You You saw Francesca last night. Waited till she got off. You took her home, Bert. That's a lie. Who told you a dirty lie like that? You take her home, Bert? You listen to me. I'm a good guy. Respected. My wife, my classmates. Class of 36. Last year, they even made me prexy of the Cane and Ale Society. You take Francesca home, Bert? I tried to. Sure, I tried. I was showing off to my friend, Cane and Ale Buddy. Tried to impress him how I was... Like that, with Franny. When I didn't make it, he laughed. Helped me into a cab, sent me home. Helped you? I needed it. I'd had more ale than cane. You're a laughing friend. Who is he? Harry Bruno, staying at the Acme Hotel. You go ask him. He'll tell you how I came right home. Ask him. I will. Is this your pen knife, Bert? Where'd you get it? It's the one that stabbed Francesca. And you think I... You're crazy. I lost it. This morning, the missus asked me for it to open a cannon. I, I looked for it and I, I lost it. Well, that's the night the Canaan Ailers gave me in gratitude for my term of office. Taxi. I told you, I. Sure, sure. You're respected, you told me. Grab your cane, Bert. At headquarters, we, too, respect men with canes. <laughs> Can you come back later, fella? Police. Danny Clover. Can't come back, huh? <laughs> come on in. In the middle of a shave here, fella. Go right ahead. Oh, that's uh, important, huh? I think so. Go right ahead, Mr. Bruno. Shave. Mm-hmm. What's on your mind, fella? You know Bert Finley? <laughs> you kidding? Bert? <laughs> My classmate at the university. You're a university man, huh? Three years of it. Broke my shoulder one summer so they wouldn't renew my scholarship. Ah, waste of time. Anyhow, who needs college? Color worse. You belong to the cane and ale club, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I belong. <laughs> what do you think I'm here for? What do you think I came all the way from Kansas City for? You're to carry a cane and drink ale? Of yes, course, huh? Great saving. Great. Rise. Gotta get me some back in Kansas City. Hey, uh, what? I didn't say anything. I'm waiting for you. Oh, hold it a second. Let me have this face perfume. What about Bertine? He said he had you look at a waitress last night. Oh. Well, acquaint me with the laws in New York City, fellow. No looking at waitresses, huh? Oh, okay, I won't look. Hand me that talcum powder like a good son. Waitress named Francesca. Francesca Brown. Neat. She can carry my tray anytime. She was stabbed last night with this pocket knife. Did you ever see him? What is Bert going to that for? What about the knife? Bert's. We gave it to him a couple days ago. Outgoing prexy of the class of 36, Cane and Ale. Stabbed it. He says he didn't. I believe it. Did you see Francesca after she left work last night? Hello, waitress. I didn't say you followed her. Did you make a date with her? <laughs> Not this fella. Oh, I admit it, fella. I reached down for her hand, got my fingers wet in the chicken noodle soup. She knew the defenses, That girl. Where what? did you go after you left Finley? Up to Harlem. You know, sightseeing. Yeah, now. Yeah. Let's go down to headquarters, Mr. Bruno. I want you to meet somebody. Sure, whatever you say, fella. Hand me my shirt, will you? How long are we going to wait in this office, fella? Till I tell you you can go, fella. Look, Mr. Clover, Harry's got no family here. I have. The missus is going to worry. What's with those canes you boys are carrying? What's with them, Danny? Explain it to Tartaglia, and I'll be right back. Okay, Danny. What's with the canes of the Cannon Alpha Society, Jim? We're ready for you, Jimmy. You don't have to take my arm, Mr. Clover. I'll be all right. This is adorable. You're all right now, Jimmy. Here. sit down. Thank you. Last night when your wife was killed, Jimmy, the man who did it said to you... She's all yours, blind boy. He said she's all yours, blind boy. There are four men in this room besides us, Jimmy. They're each going to say that sentence. I want you to listen, consider, and tell me if you recognize his voice. You. You say it. She's... She's all... She say it. She's all yours, blind boy. Now you. She's all yours, blind boy. You. She's all yours, blind boy. You. She's all yours, blind boy. Well, Jimmy. The third one. Let me hear him again. You. She's all yours, blind boy. Again, Jimmy. Well? None of them. None of these men killed my wife. You're positive? I'm positive. Keep after it, Mr. Fuller. Broadway is My Beat, written by Morton Fine and David Breachin, with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. There's a stir on Broadway when summer starts coming in. The visitors arrive and Broadway is festooned with latest styles from Peoria, the bumper crop of girlies from Iowa. The kid who got tossed off the boxcar at Scranton and hitchhiked the rest of the way. This is the time. This is the promise. This is the dream. And it's precisely the instant when the citizens of Broadway put in for their vacation to Scranton, Peoria, and Iowa. And it takes the bus tickets and the two whole weeks' holiday to find out you rode to an empty corner of a faraway world. With me, it was still routine. Murder is never seasonal. A girl had been knifed and thrown back at her husband. Find out why and who and what circumstances conspired to want her dead. My job. And at police headquarters at night, a man. His name was Sergeant Gino Tartaglia. Many people thought him the friendly type. What do you think of me, Danny? What's the matter, Gino? Go ahead, Danny. Let me have it. Both bows. I stand on your kimbo and wait for it. Between the eyes, Danny. What happened? What brings this on? This morning, Danny, on my way to work, I stopped into Zimmerman's DeBaker, as is my wont, to purchase my daily Zimmerman bums. And? Mr. Zimmerman walked over and said, stop pinching the Zimmerman bums, and proceeded to tell me what he thought. Then, he heaved the Zimmerman bum at me. That's why my uniforms forced it all over. Gino. I'm not a bad chap, am I not, Danny? Gino, you're kind, trustworthy, loyal, obedient. Would you give me a note to Zimmerman to that effect, Danny? Soon, after we attend to the business at hand. Your business is bad, Danny. There's not much to hand. Only the fact that the members 500 strong of the cane and ale club are raising hob among the populace with their antics with cane and ale. Such goings-on. That's Rover speaking. Get your hat, Danny. What's the trouble, Muggerman? That waitress at Harper's Grill Rose Keeler. What happened to her? Beaten, knife, emergency hospital, Danny. Squat cars downstairs. (laughs) Nobody get out with you. I talked to you before, Rose. Danny Clover, remember? I'm a good patient. I don't ask for nobody when I don't need him. I don't need you. I need you. I'll push the night buzzer for you. You want us to find the man who hurt you, don't you, Rose? I don't want to talk about it. I know how you feel, but you've got to try. You've got to help us. Mm. You don't have to get up. I know I don't. I want to watch your face. I want to see how a man looks when he gets a good look at what another man did to him. See? See? He had a knife. Wasn't his fingernails. You finished looking, Yeah, you're finished. Who was he, Rose? So you can compare notes. Who was he? Um, can I help you? It was in a dark alley. I heard a cane tapping, and a voice asked a question in a whisper. For an answer, I tried to scream. Funny, no screen came out. What were you doing there? It's a shortcut on my way to work. I don't ever hardly take it except when I'm late. You live near Harper's Grove. Yeah. Yeah, maybe too near. why do you say that? Guys find out I live near when I walk me home. Too cheap for cab fare. Like who? Bert then used to. Before oh, Francesca came to work, Cain and Aylers, they all been asking. Bert suggested, they say you think it was Finley? I don't think, mister. I just hurt. Was it, Finley? I don't know. I just hurt. I'm in the night, brother. Now I need somebody. In a few moments, a door opened, noiselessly. And the sister, in a white nun's habit, leaned over the girl in the bed, put a hand against the girl's forehead. Then the sister turned to me and smiled faintly. She told me Rose was sleeping. That was good. I left. And another scrap of information. Bert Finley had also made a play for Rose Keeler. Bert Finley, ex-Prexie of the Cane and Ale Boys, was quite a boy. Go now to the home of the ex-prexy and ask him what else he was. The door was open. Oh, I thought it was my husband. I'm from the police. Bert hasn't been up to any mischief, has he? So may I come in? What is it you wish? Where's your husband? Well, he'll be home soon. He'll be home at 12. It's just about half past that now. Oh, it certainly is not. Bert is always home by midnight, always. Not tonight, Mrs. Stanley. Where is he? Well, he's former pixie you know, of the Cane and Ale Club. They're in town, 33 Lodges. Why, if he home, I said 12 o'clock. Nobody gets into mischief if they're in bed at midnight. It's important that we find your husband, Mrs. Finley. Do you have any idea where he might be? Well, I know exactly where he is. What do you think of that? I think that's very nice. You think I have a dad about for a husband. Birch University, you know. Last year's president of his society. He's with the boys now. Is that right, Miss Finley? At a banquet, his lodge The one of the class of 36. Where's the banquet? Well, I... I, I I don't know. Oh, no, Bert never told me. Hey, Danny. Mugerman. Quick, Danny. Get in. What's the trouble? Bert Finley stabbed. Yeah. Yeah. Alley back a Harpers Grill. Let's go, Muggerman. he was at when I found him. The dead don't get around much, do they? How come you found him, Mr. Harper? I'll tell you about that. I was closing up the grill, understand? Lots of things to do when you close up. You gotta check the shortages on your waitresses. You'd be surprised how they try to cut you sometime, understand? All the tenant wants to know is how come you found him. I was coming to that, mister. You wanna force me? Closing the grill tonight was somewhat a chore. Them Kane and Aylers had a banquet. Good old boys arranged it. My favorite customer. And um, the Kane and Aylers kept walking in and out through my kitchen into the alley. I don't serve liquor, understand? Then back crew again. Messed up everything. Bird friendly, one of those that came through? Must have. Because how come he's bleeding here all over my alley? He didn't come back, so you weren't looking for him. you the type that keeps pressing, aren't you, son? No. I didn't go looking for Boyd. I happened to notice him here while I was emptying the day's garbage. First, I thought it was one of my alley clients falling asleep, waiting for a charity. Then I thought it wasn't. It was good old Boyd, dead in the donated. Take care of it, Muggerman. I'm going back into the grill. You come too, huh, Harper? I understand. You, you want me alone while you go clue hunting. Ain't no time a man's looser than when he's out hunting alone. Come on in, Mister. I'll be your friend. This is my kitchen. Wanna nose around it for a while? Make your hot sandwich if you want. In the meantime, banquet table. Which one was it? That'll be out in the mess hall where all the. Shit. Hmm? Come on, I'll show you. Ain't had a good chance to clean it all off yet. I do that myself. Yeah. I don't like overtime on my hands if I can help it. You understand? You got your nose in the wind, boy. What you smell? That cane leaning against the wall, the table near the door. Don't surprise me. man. one of them cane and haleys. Forgot his cane. They forgot their manners. They forgot. Hey, that cane. Why? That's a blind man's cane. Good old Ned back home had one just like You remember a blind man in your grill? Son, yeah, I was back in the kitchen going crazy. I didn't look for no blind... How come a blind man forgets his cane? But that's like... Pay your respects, Hopper. but are taking old Bert away. Oh. Either. Get him out of here. He's crazy. He's not only blind, it's it's gone to his head. He killed my wife. He killed Frances. I know. I know. Take it easy, Jimmy. I don't care about the man he killed in the alley, but he killed Frances. See? What did that tell you? Crazy. Get him, of Get him off of me! Let him go! Let him go! Ah. No. Ah. Give him to me. Jimmy, your wife is dead now. I'm sorry for that. You're blind. I'm sorry for that, too. But you cost a man his life. That man, Finley. What's that to me? Said, take it easy, Jimmy. That's better. You're a killer, Bruno. Huh? You has gone crazy too. I'm going to get out of here. Yeah, do that. I want you to try. Right. Go ahead. Try. You won't let me kill him. You kill him. Shoot him. Kill him. We had Bruno at headquarters earlier. We gave him to you, but you wouldn't identify his voice. Why? I wanted him for myself. So well, you let him go, and he kills again. What do you got on me? The, the word of a blind That's man. That's right. The word of a beaten girl. A girl who heard a cane tapping before she was mugged. I got 500 buddies with cane. But nobody like Bert Finley. A man who knew you stole his knife when he was drunk, while you put him in a cab. I stood out in the alley and listened to him kill Bert Finley. Bert screamed. Francesca did. Bert showed you Francesca. So you followed her home, Bruno. Tried to talk nice to her, then strangled her, knifed her. Bert showed you Rose. You did the same thing. Listen to me. I... He did it. Yeah. I heard his voice again at police headquarters. Found out about the banquet at Harper's, and I went there. Spudded his voice again, and I followed his voice. Followed him out in the alley. When he finished with Finley, I followed him here. Nobody followed me. You're blind. I heard your cane. Jimmy didn't have a cane. I left it at Harper's. But you did. You're a cane, and nailer you had a cane. Jimmy followed your cane. Smart. Blind boy, Smart. That what made you big with your wife, blind boy? Face it, fella, she felt sorry for you. You think she could love a guy like you without eyes? Listen to him. Listen to him. How long was it since you got a good look at your wife? Saw what she was, what she could be to a man. What was she to you? Somebody to lead you around so you wouldn't be hit by a cab? I'm the kind of a guy who could have had her. You can't see, fella. You can't see like us. They allow witnesses, Mr. Clover. I want to be there when he dies. The people race against the nighttime on Broadway, each in his own way stand still, that's the trick. But dawn comes, and the gutters are choked with wasted minutes, the infinite man-hours of loneliness, and the tears. It's Broadway, the broadest. the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway, my beat. My Beat stars Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover, with Charles Calvert as Tartaglia, and Jack Crucian as Mugovan. The program was produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with musical score composed and conducted by Alexander Courage. In tonight's story, Lamont Johnston was heard as Jimmy Brown, Lou Merrill as Harry Bruno, Kathy Lewis as Rose Keller, Herb Butterfield as Bert Finley, and B. Benaderet as Mrs. Finley. through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Tonight on FBN Presents, you've been listening to some of the best in radio drama. With Fibber McGee and Molly, and Broadway is my beat. Join us again Monday evening at the same time, 9.05 when FBN presents Dragnet and Escape.
0: Thank you for joining us this week on Old Time Radio Forever. Be sure to check out Old Time Radio Forever on all of your favorite podcast directories and share it to anybody that you think would love Old Time Radio. A special thank you to the Old Time Radio fans Facebook page. They have been so supportive in listening and giving positive feedback to this podcast. So until next week, this is Matt Perry signing off and saying, Goodbye, everybody.